I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Wikishuffle. My name is Jack. This is Chris. Hello. And this is Phil. Hello. We just let Chris have a go at (laughs) recording the introduction, um, but we've scrapped it. I was trying to do a funny joke and then my funny joke went wrong. So, Indeed. Phil. We have some news that we mentioned last week. Yeah, we're going to mention it again. The definition of news is being stretched here. But we will be recording a special episode um, in the next week. So if you're listening to this and you've thought you've got an article on Wikipedia that you would love to hear us talk about, um, please let us know about it and we will feature it in our special bonus episode of Listener Suggestions. So let us know either by a direct message on Twitter. Please don't put it on our normal Twitter feed because we don't we want it to be a surprise for people. Hmm. So that's at WikiShufflePod. Or send us an email, podcast at wikishuffle.co.uk. Or send us a private message on Facebook, WikiShuffle. And if we like your idea, we're going to pick one each from the pool of suggestions yes. that we get. So we'll cover three articles in that special bonus episode based on listener suggestions. Mixing and we will only um, we'll only read the first paragraph of each one to get a gist of it. We won't actually go through all the nitty gritty, so that we won't ruin it for all of our like for us before we do the episode. Because it'd be a bit weird if we'd all read the article before doing it. Odd or boring? Either one. Talking of odd and boring, let's press the random article button and <laughs> see what we come up with. I suspect this one's going to mean more to you two young whippersnappers than it does to me. Brum. (gasps) (laughs) Brum, the TV series. Oh, my God. That little car shit. Oh, he's brilliant. I loved him. He had, like, adventures. He did. But he was always home in time. (laughs) (laughs) He was always home in time. And the guy that worked in the shop was like, he was none the wiser. What the fuck's going on? This isn't really funny. This is just that's just the synopsis of the show. <laughs> Do you not know what Brum is? I have a vague recollection of it being something, uh, but I can't really picture it. So yeah, it was a, it was a car in. I was going to say in Birmingham, but I, am I just no, saying that I because think, we call Birmingham no, I Brum? I think it was Birmingham. I think was it? I'm pretty sure that they filmed some it was. stuff in Birmingham. Oh, okay. it was. Well, um, yeah, it's a little car, and it was. Like maybe a ten-minute episode each day, and it would just drive somewhere and have an adventure. Like it'd rescue a child from a pond or something, and then it'd go back, and then its owner would come in the garage, and it'd be sat there, and he'd just be like, "Oh, Brum, what have you been up to?" And Brum would be like, oh, "Nothing, mate." <laughs> Brum can uh, talk. Very humble. Brum can talk. <laughs>
Brum was a British children's television series about the adventures of a radio-controlled car of the same name across the city of Birmingham. That's not how we pronounce Birmingham. 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 <laughs> that was for our American listeners. Leicestershire. <laughs> <laughs> Of a radio-controlled car of the same name across the city of Birmingham. <laughs> it was produced by Ragdoll Productions. For Ragdoll H- Productions. They did Rosie and Jim. They did Rosie and Jim, yeah. which was another thing. Do you know about I'm Rosie and Jim? Jim. That they was were, a bit earlier. Yeah, they were a little... Um, what, what was the... Like, there were a couple of They were an interracial couple. They were an interracial ragdoll couple that lived on a barge, yeah. Uh, they were the first interracial <laughs> couple ever on uh, children's television. Nice. Yeah. I made that up, there. but it might might well be true. You can't just make it up. You and Karen look a little bit like I'm Rosie like, and Jeff. We look like Rosie. Holy shit. You do. <laughs> I mean, if you had red hair, you and Karen would look exactly like Rosie and Jim. Interesting. Huh. I'll put that to her. And you were on the barge, because I booked that yeah, barge Yeah, you're thing. a total yeah. barge person. Why did we not pick this up on the day? I don't know. I think I might have, actually. If you were, if you were Ginger... Or well, not even ginger. It's just bright red hair. If you had bright red hair and no beard, you 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 basically are Jim. <laughs> it's those lifeless eyes and the freckles that I don't have freckles. You have I, lifeless I eyes. Like, I, like, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't have freckles, <laughs> but I do have lifeless eyes. Yeah, fair point. Um, yeah, I can definitely see. Um, yeah, my girlfriend Karen does look quite a bit like. Um, yeah, I, I wish we got Rosie and Jim because I like that even better than Brum, but. Mm. Brum was first broadcast in 1991. Mm-hmm. The show was first aired on Children's BBC, on BBC One, and later on CBeebies, and also aired in the United States on Discovery Kids mm. as part of the Ready, Set, Learn kids block on the channel that lasted from 1996 to 2010. The show was also aired on ABC, ABC One, and ABC Two in Australia. I just thought it was not going to be something that would translate well it seemed like a very very British thing I know there was no dialogue I suppose was there but the car didn't talk it just beeped just beeped and saved people from ponds yeah pretty much I don't know if it ever I don't think cars can go in ponds (laughs) (laughs) citation (laughs) needed I think you're right I just noticed there's only 65 episodes and they're only 10 minutes long that still seems like a lot to me for something that's been on for so many years the title character is a half-scale replica of a late 1920s Austin 7 chummy convertible. He drives by himself in reality. Well, this confuses me. He drives by himself. He, he drives himself. Yeah. Yes. He, he moves. He, yeah. I, I don't drive myself. I move. So he yes, doesn't drive by himself. He's a car, Chris. Yeah. He doesn't drive you walk himself. yourself. His brain, he, he does what? I think they're trying to make clear <laughs> that there's no, there's no driver in the car. Yeah. He drives by himself. He yes. is himself. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, but, but you have to appreciate that that's exceptional in the world of cars. <laughs> oh, he's snorting as well. <laughs> Fucking hell. That, that's not wrong. a normal situation. That doesn't no. go without saying that there's no one driving this car. Does it? Oh, I've never seen Chris look so when, confused. When you look at a car in the street, driving along in the road, do you think may or may not have a driver? Or do you just assume there's probably somebody driving that car? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think there's someone driving that car. But in this case, there this isn't. car, he doesn't. So he is driving by himself. 
Yeah, he oh, drives okay. by himself. Yep, the sentence works. Carry on. <laughs> Does Although, Brown have a full driving licence? Well, that's another question. In reality, it is by radio control. It does make that clear that he's he actually have, a magic car. Has he passed his test? Would he need to? <laughs> <laughs> Phil, just keep breathing. <laughs> he can express himself in a number of ways, including opening and closing his doors and bonnet, Bobbing his suspension. Yeah, like Snoop Dogg in a, a lowrider. <laughs> flashing and swiveling his headlamps, rotating his starting crank, extending his turn signals, and using his horn. When I rotate my starting crank and use my horn, that's when you know you can have a good time. That's party time. The actors in Brum do not speak... That, that was me not issuing a response to your... <laughs> yeah, thanks, I noticed. <laughs> the actors in Brum do not speak. Mime and off-screen narration help propel the story. For this reason, it has been easy to prepare episodes for airing in other countries, and Brum has been broadcast in many parts of the world and in many languages, including a big, long list of languages. <laughs> Read them. I'm not, oh, you can imagine. There's only a finite number in the world, and most of them are Read on the list. languages. English, Italian, Dutch, Hebrew, Croatian, Arabic, Norwegian, German, Spanish, Chinese, Danish, Finnish, Swedish, Welsh, Polish, Portuguese, Thai, French, Hungarian, Catalan, Bulgarian, and Japanese. Well, that's, that's a lot of languages. It for is. A, a almost silent program. That's true. Although there is narration. But the thing about that list that really stands out to me is what order is that? It's just um, in in order of um, importance. <laughs> in order of importance. Yeah. Each episode of Brum begins and ends in the same way, with Brum sitting amongst the cars in a motor museum. When the museum owner's back is turned, he comes to life and heads out to go exploring in the big town, but always returns to the museum at the end of each episode. The opening sequence and closing sequence was filmed at the Cotswold Motoring Museum in Borton-on-the-Water in Gloucestershire. The model car used in filming is kept on display there when not in use. Originally, the programme was set in the city of Birmingham, hence the name, in addition to the onomatopoeic nature of a car revving its engine. Brum is a common colloquial term for Birmingham and its inhabitants, and they're known as Brummies. Later series make no mention of Birmingham, calling it the Big Town, but Brum still continued to be filmed there, and many Birmingham streets and landmarks can be seen in each episode, including Aston University. Brum is no longer produced by Ragdoll Productions. Production ceased on the 4th of November 2002. Following Brum's redundancy from Ragdoll, the little car is now on display at the Cotswold Motoring Museum in Borton on the Water, Gloucestershire. Oh, you got me redundant. Yeah, from its job. From its job. Don't even. Cars don't. Right. <laughs> Animals is one thing, cars do not have jobs. Well, that one does. Um, he drives himself. So we could go. We could go. Ugh. Gloucestershire's under two hour drive away. Yeah. Let's go and see Brum. We good. I don't think I've ever watched an episode of Brum. I'm definitely not as excited about it as you are. Mm-hmm. Um, Brum was good. Different generations. So, clearly. What did you watch when you were a kid? Fucking Andy Pandy and Bill and Ben. What was it? I didn't have a television. <laughs> That's not <laughs> you did, Come on. What were your kids' TV programmes when you were really young? Not like teenage years when you were... Like for this, it would have been what, we five what or do six. I remember, and I hate these conversations. Oh, do you remember that TV show? Oh, yeah, I know. We're not. We're not the Peter K oh, podcast. Yeah, <laughs> hey, one thing's different. I've asked they? you a question. <laughs> Answer the question. I remember watching the Flumps. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? 
That's I the extent remember, of your childhood joy. I remember the Laurel and Hardy cartoon. Yeah, we had that on as well. Oh, they kept repeating these. The Flumps was before my time, but they just kept on repeating it. Mm. Um, why don't you? I remember Why Don't You. You can't remember Why Don't You. Why do you remember no, things from before you, you were born? Why Don't You continued after? It was, it was an old thing. What the hell is yeah. Why Don't You? It was on ITV. No, no, you're thinking of How To. Oh, well, hmm, their names are rubbish, so. <laughs> <laughs> the characters of Brum. Museum owner, Mike Kavanagh. The owner of the car museum where Brum lives, he is the only human character who appears in every episode and the only character who appears apparently oblivious to Brum's sentience. <laughs> <laughs> Despite the fact that he always finds the items in Brum's seats at the end of each episode, he never questioned it and simply takes said items away. However, in the episode Brum and the Car Breakers, there are hints that he knows Brum is sentient, but pretends that he doesn't notice. Ah, denial. (laughs) Particularly in that episode when he finds Brum at the scrapyard and replaces Brum's battery and laughs at the scrap dealers when they can't find Brum, who has escaped after waking up, unaware of his battery being replaced. The Big Town Robber! played by Andrew Davenport, a robber who is usually always up to mischief, as robbers will. Robber's gonna rob. Such as when he stole the trophy for the big race. Brum is usually the one that foils his plans. Fun fact about Andrew Davenport, who portrayed the big town robber, he went on to create Teletubbies. Did he? And there are 365 episodes of Teletubbies, one for every day of the year, except on leap years, when you'll have to just watch another one. Again, again. Again, and again. Yeah. Mr. and Mrs. Lardy Dar, a posh married couple who are regularly featured in season two. Vicky Spoon, a regular cast member of the second (laughs) season, who is Vicky's Brum's special friend. What? That doesn't make any sense. And also, Vicky Spoon. That doesn't say whether she's a human or. Vicky Spoon. She's a cast member. She's Vicky. Vicky Brum. Vicky is Brum's. Oh, Vicky is Brum's special friend. So Brum's special friend. Okay. She is a thirteen-year-old girl who is a friend of Brum. Hmm. I'm, I've just found that on the Brum Wiki. No. <laughs> There's Shut a Brum up. Wiki. Amazing. There's an episode guide, list of characters, VHS and DVD releases. Quite who maintains that? Um. Brum. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, other characters. Granny Slippers. She wears slippers wherever she goes. That's the name. Mr. Brillo. He loves gnomes. He lives next door to Granny Slippers and has currently been seen wearing a colourful waistcoat, black circle glasses and a tie and blue shirt. His fa- <laughs> <laughs> he does fit. The- he fits the description. <laughs> His favourite picture is the Noma Lisa, and he has <laughs> loads of gnomes in his garden. Big town manager. Ah. The manager of the town. That's not <laughs> yeah. a thing. I am the big town manager. I manage this town. It's not. Birmingham hasn't got a manager. <laughs> and Sally, a girl in big town who got her cake stolen by teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those pesky teenagers. Stealing my cakes. Poor Sally. I'd like to just draw everyone's attention to a few Brum episode titles. Brum and the Street Party. Or Battleship Potemkin, if your references are a little bit classier. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, they're not. 
Uh, Brum and the Naughty Dog. Ah, we all met a Naughty Dog. Brum and the King of Thieves. She probably stole Sally's cakes. Brum and the Bushes. That's a late night <laughs> episode. Brum and the Rampant Robot. <laughs> uh, Brum and the Splash and Grab, which sounds like a that probably involves That's his, on Urban Dictionary. Well, that involves his special friend, Vicky. Brum and the Golden Lou. I'm going to watch Brum later on the YouTubes. Eight or nine episodes. Seth Nedermeyer. Seth Henry Nedermeyer, 1907 to 1988, was an American physicist who co-discovered the muon and later championed the implosion-style plutonium atomic bomb at the Manhattan Project. Oh. Whoa. So, so this he... guy has got a little bit of blood on his hands. So he's the, mm, the world's... Blood. Like he's a... He's a bit of a supervillain. Well... Well, he was siding with the goodies, so... Nedermeyer was Carl D. Anderson's PhD student at Caltech. In 1936, he and Anderson discovered the muon. What is a muon? We can't I mean, do this article and we can, know what a muon is. We can do this. I don't think there's going to be a short answer to that question. Oh. Obviously, Chris, it's a, an elementary particle similar to the electron, and it has right. an electric charge of minus 1e and a spin of 1 over 2. Yeah. Uh, but obviously it has much greater mass. Oh, 105.7 MeV slash C2. Uh, it is classified as a lepton together with the electron, the tau, and uh, the three neutrinos. Of oxide course. and neutrino, you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oxide and neutrino. Um, as is the case with other <laughs> leptons, though, the muon is not believed to have any substructure. That is, is not thought to be compro- uh, composed of any simpler particles. Okay, you up to uh, speed? Yeah, yeah, got Good. it. Cool, okay. Thanks. Thanks, Doctor. Continue. Just for future reference, that number you referred to as one over two. Yes. Some people call that a half. Yes. You know, I've just given you <laughs> what some people might use in their maths terminology. Um, I was using the scientific terminology, and right. that is how we scientists express mm. that okay. particular I do from... feel like I'm in the middle of a debate between... Two, like, two learned scholars. Yeah. Which one would you say is the mad scientist of me and Phil? Um, I think I would trust Phil's reasoning more, but I think you'd probably do some more extreme experiments, which would lead to greater things in the future. You think? <laughs> yeah, but you'd also kill yourself in some sort of disaster. <laughs> like in, you'd be, you'd yeah, be, but if I cured cancer, you'd be in out. the lab, and then someone would blow up in your face, and Phil would have said, "Well, he had some good ideas, but you know." While at Los Alamos National Laboratory, Nedermeyer was an early advocate for the development of an implosion technique for assembling a critical mass in an atomic bomb. While implosion was suggested by Richard Tolman as early as 1942 and discussed in the introductory lectures given to Los Alamos scientists by Robert Serber, Nedermeyer was one of the first to urge its full development. Unable to find much initial enthusiasm for the concept amongst his fellow Los Alamos scientists, Nedermeyer presented the first substantial technical analysis of implosion in late late April 1943. Though many remained unimpressed, Robert Oppenheimer appointed Nedermeyer the head of a new group to test implosion. Nedermeyer embarked on an intensive series of experiments testing cylindrical implosions. Mm. So I'm guessing where we're heading here is... Hiroshima and Nagasaki. That's where we're ending up. Uh, Nedermeyer. 
Nevertheless, seemingly irresolvable problems with shockwave uniformity brought progress on implosion to a crawl. At the urging of James Conant, Oppenheimer brought George Kistiakowski, who had specialised knowledge in the precision use of explosives, to help jumpstart the flagging programme in January 1944. In April 1944, tests on the first sample of plutonium-239 that had been produced with neutrons in a nuclear reactor rather than a cyclotron... What's a cyclotron? Oh, my God, you are so thick. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Did you not go to school? I missed that day. I missed that one day where we talked Fuck. about plutonium right. 239. It's a type of particle accelerator yeah. uh, invented by Ernest O'Lawrence in, I think, 1932. Is that when it was? Yeah, okay. um, in which charged particles accelerate outwards from the centre along a spiral path. All right. So it's quite similar to the um, the Large Hadron Collider. The washing machine. It's that, nope. sort of, okay. that sort of... Um, no, not, well, washing machine as well, sure, why not? <laughs> If, if they're the simple terms that you can understand, sure, a washing machine. I'm not a scientist like you. Uh, the particles are held to a spiral traje- uh, trajectory by a static magnetic field, and that's important, it's static. Oh, it doesn't um, move. And it's accelerated by a rapidly varying radio frequency electric mm. field. So tests on these neutrons revealed an unexpected problem. The reactor bread's plutonium contained five times more plutonium-240, a result of reactor neutron bombardment, an unwanted isotope that spontaneously decayed and produced neutrons that promised to cause a pre-detonation. Without sufficiently quick critical mass assembly... It now became apparent that only implosion would work for practical plutonium bombs, since neutrons from any amount of plutonium-240, which would be produced along with plutonium-239 in a workable reactor production scheme, would cause a pre-detonation in any gun-type bomb. Do you think at some point when these people were doing this, that they thought, we're just making bombs. This is, this is not very good fun science. We're not really doing anything that's helpful to people because they know what they're doing. They know they're intending to make something that's to win the war. Yeah, there's a more complicated moral argument there, isn't there? Yeah. In that, by the use of these bombs, you were stopping a protracted and drawn out Mm -hmm. um, uh, war that was going to kill countless tens of thousands more people. Anyway, I don't know whether I hold that position because those people dying wouldn't have been Mm. babies in the most part but yeah it's a difficult one the thing that i take from this is that it's obviously very 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 complicated that's got to be a good thing hasn't it i don't like the idea that anybody could just do this at home and it's seeming pretty clear that that's not going to be a possibility so that's good Hmm. for now another good thing is from his picture he's got a very good haircut he has got a very good haircut yes chris he's very in fashion for now He actually is. He <laughs> looks like he's in a VO5 commercial. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I have big problem, especially when you see people still to this day celebrating the day that the the bombs were dropped, which just do seems, people do that? Yeah, like uh, you know, in a in a sort of more celebratory that the war ended, but as well they are celebrating the fact that these bombs were dropped and it ended the war. I know Japan were absolute arse wipes in this period. Yeah. But still, you know, that's the government. It's not the God knows how many people that died. Yeah. 
Well, it would appear that there was some beef because in mid-June 1944, Kistiakowski's reports to Oppenheimer about the dysfunctionality within the implosion team led to the ousting of Nedermeyer and his replacement by Kistiakowski in order to get this essential operation working. Nedermeyer was said to have been much embittered by this event and Oppenheimer was also unhappy with this choice but felt that no other possible course would allow timely development of practical bombs on a war schedule hmm. accordingly it was left to others like Kistiakowski who contributed a background in military ordnance and explosives Robert Christie John von Neumann uh, and Edward Teller uh, to complete the work his implosion method championed by Nedermeyer was used in the first atomic bomb exploded the Trinity test the fat man bomb dropped on Nagasaki and almost all modern weapons. Mm. Uh, it's a very difficult moral question that we are definitely not capable of an- answering on this podcast. No. But well done us for trying. After World War II, Nedermeyer taught at the University of Washington until his death from complications of Parkinson's disease in 1988. In 1982, he was awarded with the Enrico Fermi Award blowing people up. Now, this is good because I think that it's a little bit completist of us. We're getting to the point where we're starting to fill in the gaps a little bit. We've mm-hmm. done enough shuffles now that thing we're going to revisit areas we've done before and yeah. eventually it's inevitable that we will cover all of S Club 7. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please, please. Here's hoping. Please be Tina. It's not Tina. Uh, I'll, I'll take another guess. Bradley, Chris. come on, Bradley. It, it's Rachel. It's Rachel. Oh. Um, She's so boring. She, the, the thing is, right, Rachel is my favourite one. Really? And it's the boring option, though, because she's, Rachel is the most obvious one. She's attractive, but she's, she's so great. dull. No, she's not. I've never got any hint of charisma from her whatsoever. I love Rachel. Anyway, specifically Rachel Stevens, who I have no strong opinion of in any direction. That's (laughs) always nice, isn't Mm. it? Um, We're talking about her second album, Negotiate With Love. No, sorry, my mistake. It's the first single from her second album. Negotiate with Love. Negotiate with Love. I think it's about the United Nations. I think so. That's what I'm assuming that. I don't... Negotiate With Love is the lead single taken from Rachel Stevens' second album, Come and Get It. The track was written by Anders Wolbeck, Matthias Lindblom, Zylo Man, mm-hmm. Miriam Nervo, and Olivia Nervo, a.k.a. the Nervo Twins. It was produced by Anders Wolbeck, Matthias Lindblom, and Pete Hoffman. That's a lot of people to be involved in the making of a single. Yeah. Do we, do you a lot know of people with very strange names. No, I don't know this one. Because it's on... I think it's on the same album as her awful cover of Some Girls. Did she do a cover of that? Yeah, it was not good. Obviously, Sweet, Sweet Dreams My LAX is one of the best pop songs yeah. of our time. That's a great pop song. Can't argue with that. It's such... It's damning with faint praise when people say it's a great pop song, isn't it? No, it's the no, highest it's like praise saying, you it's can like saying, give. No, it's, yeah, but, <laughs> but really, people are saying it as, as if they're they're distancing themselves from it, despite really liking it. Like "Shake It Off" by Taylor Swift. Oh, it's a great pop song. Yeah, it's like it's like saying, 
I like it, but I don't like it so much that you're going to think I'm a total loser oh, for liking okay. it. Okay, it's one of these things where they say, "Oh, well, Chris likes it." Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I think it's providing context, isn't it? And for me, no, no, but she uh, when I say a great it's a great song. pop song, it's something that I won't be unhappy of if it comes on in a pub that I'm in. With those songs yeah. that I describe as great pop songs, I would never listen to voluntarily in my free time. It's disposable. Oh, okay. well, because I don't, it's, it's disposable. Yeah, it's the background yeah. music that I enjoy and has a crossover, but it's not something that I'd like enough to actually buy or listen to out okay. of choice. Mm. Well, I have regularly listened to Sweet Dreams by Alex just on my own. Yeah, I've, never, I've never done that but and if it was to come on the radio off. I would enjoy it and I do with um, Shake It Off as well I do as well but it's, it's obvious yeah. okay I'm glad we cleared that up let's clear that up it's a shame that um, Rachel's not her career has not gone as as far as what? it as what as who as this <laughs> well it's gone exactly this far it's, it's better than Joe's because Joe's she went from pop star to racist pretty quick <laughs> to pariah yeah <laughs> how right how many shuffles have we done let's say three on average on episode, an episode and I don't even think it's that much 31 episodes so 93 shuffles and we've had two S Club 7 related articles weird. from that from 5 million mm. and I don't think we've mentioned on the podcast either that we had a Pharrell Williams song Gust of Wind early on <laughs> and a few weeks after we did that on the podcast it came up again and I'm not sure if it's some sort of weird so algorithm so- that Wikipedia uses or if it is truly random but obviously uh, we didn't uh, even mention it on the podcast because we just thought that seems like we've just made that up uh, are we undermining ridiculous. the whole premise of our podcast here what uh, by saying that we skip past it no, by saying that uh, Wikipedia isn't actually random when we press the random article button, it doesn't really work. Is that the fear that we oh, have? Oh, okay. Um, is that it's maybe, maybe, but who, who cares? So anyway, negotiate your luck. No, uh, we're talking about the original, not the remix. <laughs> <laughs> Negotiate With Love was released on March 28, 2005 as a CD single and CD maxi. It's in the genre of pop and synth pop on the Polydor label. The other day you said hello. We had a coffee, now the next thing you know you're playing me. Was I just there for show? Cause I deserve to know whatever happened to me. Yesterday we were okay. Why leave me on that way? Haven't you heard of give and take? Now you think you're in the clear Well let me tell you dear Soon you'll realize your mistake In the music video, there's a there's a picture of the cover here in which Rachel Stevens is wearing a dress that I can only really describe as odd. <laughs> it's, it's sort of like lingerie in the form of a dress. Yeah, and what's it doing uh, framing her boobs in that way? What she is seems that? happy like, about it, though. She does seem very happy, and she's a smiley lady, and I think she seems lovely. 
I, I'm, it's a very she's early, not going to sleep with you, Phil. <laughs> it's a very early 2000s font. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that is... Uh... In the video, Rachel enters her flat and destroys anything that would remind her of her previous boyfriend. The video also features six copies of Rachel, all trying to rid themselves of any reminders of their previous boyfriend. Six? Uh-huh. Mm. She even attempts to play golf on the table with some of his figurines. <laughs> Why does your boyfriend have figurines? Hey, I've got those Ghostbusters. Okay. <laughs> the video was shot in London. Nice detail there. <laughs> the directors were Harvey and Carolyn. <laughs> Kate Phillips produced the video. Video commissioner was Cynthia Lowell. Her wardrobe in the video is a navy skirt and overcoat. That's a funny way of saying she was wearing a navy skirt and overcoat. Later in the video, Rachel removes the overcoat, revealing a pink sweater. Oh, a lovely description. I'm, hold on. <laughs> I love that, yeah. She takes off her right. overcoat and you're thinking, yes, come on. Whatever, what but... shade of pink was it, though? <laughs> ah. So it was released on CD in 2005 and CD1 was Negotiate With Love and Some Girls on the B-Side. CD2, however, goes interactive. Oh, I remember when this happened. What does that mean? This was fun. This is a remarkable thing. You got a lot of stuff with CD2. You got Negotiate With Love is what you were paying for mm -hmm. you also got the love to infinity radio edit which is 45 seconds longer than the original an edit shouldn't be longer <laughs> um queen um an interview then you get negotiate with love the cd-rom video which is her breaking all of her boyfriend's figurines okay. you then get the negotiate with love karaoke video oh that's fun and also the negotiate with love PC game. A game. I'm guessing you were just smashing figurines again. I think I imagine mm, that it's a, a point it's a flash game. I, I think it's gonna be a point and click adventure and you get to be you get to be Rachel Steele. Combine club with figurines. <laughs> <laughs> and the negotiate with love ringtone. Because uh, it was two thousand and five. Polyphonic polyphonic ringtones were a thing. <sighs> Do you remember even before poly polyphonic um where you would go on a website and it would have sort of tabs for ringtones and you'd have to type in the numbers and you'd get a really basic... Yeah. I'd be like, I'm going to have a muse timers running out ringtone and... That's what it was what sound was... like. <laughs> that, that song? That was timers running out, yeah. Because it was big business, wasn't it? Those yeah. bloody crazy frog adverts yeah. on the entire time. pound fifty for a... Shitty ringtone. No one even bothers with ringtones these days. You just no. use whatever the standard one is. Yeah. As he, my ringtone is the standard iPhone ringtone because I, no one rings me. Then, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 no one does it was that. A look on your face when you said. No one rings anyone anymore. Oh yeah, they do. doesn't they? Ooh, I get loads of phone calls. You do as well. We we've got loads. Oh, it's me and me. Phil ring each other every day. Yeah, oh, it's just me then. Okay. Just you, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we'll do that thing, like in When Harry Met Sally, where you watch a film together over the phone. Yeah, it's always nice when we do that. The single was released in March 2005 and sold 12,500 copies in its first week, <coughs> peaking at number 10 in the British charts, giving Rachel Stevens her fourth top 10 hit and eventually selling 35,000 copies, which I'd imagine would be amazing today. I don't know how. It would, yeah. Yeah, it probably would. Mm. That's only 10 years ago. I'm looking at the video now, and she is in an overcoat, and she has got a pink dress on. So yes, okay, the 
the Wikipedia article was accurate. Mm. That's great. Good tick. That's good to know. Um, yeah, I've just clicked on her, like her main Wikipedia page, and I've noticed that in in 2014 she was awarded FHM's Sexiest Woman of All Time award. The sexiest woman of all time. Yeah, in 2014 she was awarded that. Yeah. That just seems like a it's too big of a thing to award a human. Did the they... sexiest person of all time. <laughs> it's too big. Not the did sexiest they break person, it apparently. down in in the run up to it? Did they have like a, a hot a heat for each century? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to know a fun Rachel Stevens fact that yeah. I remember from my brain? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay. That I might be mis- misremembering. Okay, I don't think that she's allowed to sue us. I'm pretty sure that 2D from the band Gorillaz used to go out with her. Damon Albarn? No, no, 2D. The animated character from Gorillaz. I don't know why I've got this. I've got this in my head. and I'm sure that it is the case. Like, obviously, they didn't actually go out. But I'm pretty but sure it's part was like of the Gorillaz backstory. That rings a half bell to me as well, actually. And yes, Wikipedia has said that... Yep, 2D is one of... Um, Rachel Stevens' ex-boyfriends. They met while Gorillaz were writing the first album and Rachel was in S Club 7. There is little known about her, only that Murdoch ruined her relationship with 2D. Murdoch. Um, and that's it. That's all the information on the whole internet. <laughs> <laughs> about that particular relationship. So yeah, the things that you store in your brain. I can't remember my password for my work computer. I can remember that. Thank you for listening to episode 33 of Wiki Shuffle. Is that right? Yeah, 33. Yeah, 33 down, 12 to go. Um, what, what happened after 12? <laughs> I've just decided to quit then. Sorry, I should have said this on uh, off air, what, but. Well, we have 45 as well. 40, 45 and out. 45 and out. <laughs> yeah. Very That's a specific. strange number. <laughs> It's not that strange. It's one of the main 50. It's, yeah, that, that's true. I'm planning on carrying on going. Okay, that's fine. If you think yeah. you, this can continue without me, you can go ahead. <laughs> yeah. You're such a dick. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about... I mean, we've, we've given all of our stuff at the beginning, haven't we? We said all yeah. the Facebook and all uh, that. We, so we, anything we, you'd we, like to plug, thing. Phil? Um, I don't know about plug, but the thing that I always mean to say and always forget to say is to thank the people who actually write the Wikipedia articles. Yeah. Uh, we're, well, no, because no, we're, they're the whole thing is based on Wikipedia. Entirely dependent on these people, selflessly and anonymously, because we never acknowledge who's actually written or edited any no. of the things. But the, the wonderful machine that is Wikipedia, we are in turn mm. eternally grateful for that that resource on the people that are doing it so we should say thank you okay i'm voice broke at the you. end it did a bit i'm still recovering <laughs> from a cold a little bit chris anything to plug no <laughs> oh oh no i do have something to plug yeah at the end of the month i am going to be on can i say this i don't know what are you, what are you going to be on that pick a pick flick. flick yes oh I can say that. yeah i'm gonna do the pick a flick podcast with yes, with Tony, Tony Black, uh, Halloween, oh, horror. Okay, I like my horror. So this is Tony Black, who previously did the Black Hole Cinema podcast, mm-hmm. and is now has now done a rebrand. They've rebadged it, you fools, um, as Pick a Flick, yes. where 
I, well, actually, that's where the inspiration, if I may use such a pretentious word for a podcast episode, that's where the inspiration came for us doing a viewer's or the listener's choice episode came from. Because Pick Flick is going to be solely a podcast where you can recommend a film yeah. to the podcasters and they will talk about it. Which is a nice idea. Yeah. So I'm going to go on there. I think they're talking about Little Shop of Horrors, which mm-hmm. is one of my favourites. I'm not sure if you're allowed to say that much. Uh, no. No. I think that they're not revealing what film's being featured in which uh, okay. one until... I'm, to- I'm talking about a film. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going on for the Halloween episode, and mm. I'll be going on a week or two after that. I can't remember when it is, but I've been asked to appear as well, so I should be going on. So have I. Have we, we've all been approached. That's nice, isn't That's it? That's good. Mm. Separately, though. Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird. It's cornered us. God, we're like S Club 7 falling to yeah. pieces. Who's, who's Rachel? Me. You're you're Joe. Fuck off, am I Joe? Yeah. Why am I Joe? Loudmouth racist. Out of all of us, I'm the least (laughs) loudmouth racist. I don't like what you're insinuating. I don't don't think that any of us are racist. Loudmouth, fair enough, yeah. Really? No, I was just joking, mate. It's okay. You're Bradley. That's fine, I'm fine with that. I've got the moves. Phil is, um... Hannah. Hannah. Yeah, I'll take Hannah's that. Hannah's good. Yep. Hannah's good. You're Paul. <laughs> Why am I Paul? Because he's, he's fat and he does dad dancing. That's not fair. <laughs> I mean, it is fair. It's accurate, but it's still hurtful. <laughs> um, what do I have to plug? I'm back on Instagram after I was banned for some reason. Yeah. Why were you banned from Instagram? You I don't know. What do you have to do to get banned from Everyone Instagram? keeps saying, oh, you must have showed your knob to someone, but I, I've never shown my knob on Instagram. That's nice to know. Isn't it? Well, anyway, I was banned and now I've got a new phone. And so now do they it's not let tell you why, why you were banned? No, they just say you've, you've violated the terms of use or terms and conditions and um, you're out. And there's nothing you can do about it. And there's loads of people online who've had the same thing. They don't believe they've done anything wrong and they've been kicked off. But maybe I was... Uh, maybe someone reported me for a bit of banter that went wrong or something. I Let's not use the B word. Yeah, sorry about that. I just couldn't... It was a difficult Are we going sentence. to Nando's after? <laughs> I'd love a Nando's. Maybe the next podcast you hear will be our special listeners' choice episode, or maybe it won't. Probably not. I think we'll get another episode. I think we'll record maybe. it at the same time as we record our next episode, okay. and the next episode will go out first. But this will be your last chance to get your suggestions in. Yeah, you've got maybe let's say till Thursday of this week to get them in. Thursday yeah. or Friday? Friday. Let's cut it off at Friday. Okay. So make sure you tune in then for another episode next week and a bonus which will come along soon. Until then, howdy-do time. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that more of a welcome? (laughs) It's more of a welcome. I've panicked. Bye, bye, bye. That's it, isn't it? Bye. 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 Bye.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.